Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 317. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2017, Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. Today you will hear from Emily Calhoun of Floriography Floral, based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, an early Slow Flowers member whose news we're sharing with you today. In my 2017 Floral Insights and Industry Forecast, released at the beginning of this year, I noted shift number three, return of brick and mortar. I wrote, there's a lot of flower power going on as independent and progressive florists are signing leases and opening retail spaces in the same markets that have witnessed mainstream mom-and-pop floral storefronts being shuttered. This insight continues to play out with new flower shop reports from around the country hitting my radar. The newest twist on this story isn't just florists setting up retail spaces, but also flower farmers adding brick and mortar to the mix. This is intriguing, and recently when I learned that the owners of flower farms that we've featured in the past on the Slow Flowers podcast had just opened the doors of retail in their markets, I invited a few of them to tell us more. This is a continuing story. So this is the first installment of this story with Emily. Since I recorded this show with her, I've learned of others who fall into the flower farmer turned floral retailer narrative. And I'll be reporting on that shift in our 2018 Floral Insights Report, which will be released in episode 330 on January 3rd, 2018. And not to get ahead of myself, but please reach out if you have any suggestions to share on that front. I'm eager to bring you my recent conversation with Emily Calhoun. Nearly three years ago, I traveled to New Mexico to meet my friend Paula Panich for a writing retreat in Santa Fe. I knew I would have to fly into Albuquerque, so I reached out to our lonely, only New Mexico Slow Flowers member at the time and asked her if we could have dinner together and record a report for this podcast while I was passing through town. It all worked according to plan, and you'll want to go back and listen to that conversation, episode 176, which aired in January of 2015. A lot has happened since then, and as floriography has evolved and changed, Emily has been at the center of a mini explosion in cut flower farming in the state of New Mexico. We now have four Slow Flowers members in the state, and I've promised them I'll visit sometime in the coming year to document more of what's happening there. Let's learn more from Emily. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast, and I am so excited today to have Emily Calhoun back as a returning guest on the podcast. Hi, Emily. Hi, Deborah. I'm 
so excited to be here again. I just wish that you were actually sitting in my office again. Yeah, like last time. <laughs> I know. We were drinking coffee and hanging out on my couch. You should come back. I will. I will. <laughs> I promise. So Emily is the owner of Floreography. Is it Floreography New Mexico or Floreography NM or is that just in your uh, Instagram address? It's and it, well, actually, now it's Floreography Flowers. If you follow us on Instagram, okay. so we're we're trying to broaden our reach. So we're not just in New Mexico, and so all of our social media is just Floreography Flowers. Oh, that makes sense because you're probably doing um, some destination weddings. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, it was probably I want to say two or maybe three years ago that I had a reason to go to Albuquerque and Santa Fe and I called you up and invited myself over, not only over, like I think I asked for a bed, <laughs> bed to sleep in. <laughs> Which I was so excited about, yeah. Um, we had a sleepover. Yeah, we talked about um, you being sort of the lonely, only specialty cut flower grower in or farmer in the whole practically the whole state of New Mexico. And Well, a lot has happened and I... I caught wind of it, and I wanted to circle back and have you come come back and um, tell your story and tell the next chapter of what's going on with Floreography Flowers. Uh, so catch us up a little bit. Sure. Well, so we have since moved our studio and my home into um, a more urban part of Al- Albuquerque, which means we had to let go of the farming operation of Floreography, but... Um, we did that because our wedding business was really starting to take off and we felt like that was the thing that we needed to focus on. Um, meanwhile, we, we continued farming in the southern part of the state in, La, in the Las Cruces, El Paso, mm-hmm. Texas mm-hmm. area. And my family has since taken over the Floreography Farm and it's now known as Calhoun Flower Farms. Wow. Um, wow. And they are... They're cranking out all sorts of beautiful blooms and doing their own weddings and selling to grocery stores and florists and have hit the ground running with that. So um, our our two family businesses were still throwing flowers all around New Mexico and the Southwest, which is really exciting. That is so cool. As I was telling you before we started recording this um, episode, I saw this Calhoun flower farm pop up in New Mexico and <laughs> And I follow them on Instagram, but I just, I don't know, I'm so dense. I just never connected the dots that it was part of your family operation or that these are your your parents and siblings who took over what you had been doing. I think just you and your dad had been doing at one point, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, um, and I, I think we probably maybe didn't do a great job of explaining that. It just sort of was one of those things that organically happened where, mm-hmm. They were, they just took over the farm and then we said, oh, well, why don't we just, you know, make another little business out of this? Um, because people were getting a little confused about where floreography was, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I was also, we were having an identity crisis <laughs> within, within the businesses and we felt like we needed to sort of divide and conquer and distinguish, you know, what we did and what we were known for and who was doing what. Um, and yeah. so that was kind of how that, that division happened, but um, it wasn't necessarily like, Hey, here we are. Here's what's going on. It was, as you know, when you're a farmer or opening a business, it just sort of happens yeah. <laughs> sometimes yeah. before you know it. Now, because, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense because what, how many miles are between Las Cruces and Albuquerque? It's a pretty I, big distance. It's right? about like two fifty 
300 really between like site to site. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a ways and we were putting a lot of miles on the car and eventually we thought it made more sense to kind of, you know, divide the two things. And, mm-hmm. um, they were really focusing on, on the farm and curating some, some new local clients. And, and I was working on weddings mostly in the Northern part of New Mexico and doing destination work around the Southwest. Mm-hmm. So now, um, fast forward to today, Floriography Flowers is, you're really, um, primarily a design studio that sources locally, uh, in terms that you're not growing at, at this point. Yeah. Um, but that only happened because you now have more friendly local farms to buy from, right? Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I mean, it was sort of we kind of naturally went into. I think as as a farmer, as a business person, you kind of go where the business is. Mm-hmm. And for us, we had some great demand um, for our design work, and and eventually we we knew that we could build and foster new farms in the area to support our design work. Wow. Um, and so that's really what's happened over the last few years is, you know, cultivating those relationships with local farmers and trying to convince them to, to add more flowers to what, to, you know, what they were growing, which was mostly vegetables. Um, and to support our design work because it broke my heart that I wasn't I wasn't growing my own stock and my own product, but that was still such an important part of our philosophy and our aesthetic. And so, you know, we, in order to kind of keep those things in alignment, um, we started reaching out to local farmers and trying to see if they could add, add some more floral to what they were doing. So roughly how many farms in the greater, I don't know, region of, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, where you are, how many farms are you able to uh, do business with? Well, now I'd say that there's about four, like total that we really work with fairly consistently, but two of those actually now are solely have become like sole flower growing Mm -hmm. farms, which Mm -hmm. is really exciting um, that it's not just like, you know, twisting the arm of a tomato (laughs) grower to, to like throw some dahlias in the field. It's like people who are really thoughtful and intentional and passionate about cut flowers that are growing really amazing product for our designs, which is just so spectacular and really exciting. Well, I congratulate you for being so generous in kind of sharing your knowledge of the marketplace and bringing people along because um, there are farmers who don't want to give up their secrets and or florists who don't want to give up their secrets. But really, you had to create a community just because you guys are so isolated in a way from a I don't know, compared to a market like, I don't know, Sonoma County, California, oh. where they're like everywhere, there's a, somebody growing flowers. You you had limited options. Totally. Yeah. Which I think made us, um, yeah, bond together faster and out of, out of necessity. Exactly. <laughs> so can you um, mention, you mentioned some of the farms that you're. Yeah, absolutely. With? So, um, recent, like new to the area, but with such a strong growing background, um, as the Hong elder floral farm and mm-hmm. workroom, mm-hmm. um, who also makes beautiful silk ribbon for mm-hmm. anybody out there, oh, all of us, I think that's swoon, neat. swoon over silk ribbon and <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're members of uh, Soul Flowers, too. That's really yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a woman named Caitlin Kundrat who first 
joined um, or moved to Albuquerque to apprentice under a farm and then decided that she wanted to be a flower farmer and is launching her her own business now separate from the original farm this year called The Bloomist. Mm, cool. um, and she also is a, is a designer for me, so she kind of goes back and forth. She grows her flowers that she sells at a farmer's market, and then she's a designer for me, and we, we buy a lot of her product. That's awesome. Yeah, and then there's another farm called Soul Harvest, and they mostly supply, you know, veggies and edibles to restaurants, but they also supply a lot of really beautiful wild grown stuff for us and a lot of vegetables, um, which we love to use in our design work. We love involving edibles and seasonal produce and the things that we're designing. So they're a big supplier for that. And they also like they host workshops for us. They've got a beautiful setting that's adjacent to a, a great farm and table restaurant. Oh, so oh, that's wow. been a really great partnership as well. Wow. And then what about Calhoun uh, Flower Farm? Do you even buy from your sister and sisters and parents anymore? Well, I wish I could. It's so funny that I, you know, my own farm doesn't supply me anymore because fortunately, and this is all good problems, you know, their demand down there now is is so strong that sometimes they call me up and they're like sorry we don't have anything to send up to you we've we've sold it all which is the very best problem to have no complaints on my end I mean it's I'm kind of like well that that those are my flowers aren't they but (laughs) um you know we're just really excited that you know we have the demand in the community now who wants local product whereas when we started five or six years ago we couldn't even give away flowers at the market. And it's just a really exciting transformation to watch and to be a part of. That's cool. What do you think, yeah. what do you think, um, other than your, you're like just constantly out there educating brides. I mean, what do you, what do you think is going on? Is there some kind of shift in the, I don't know, the, the zeitgeist of, of people are finally thinking about flowers the way they think about food or is it, I think think there's that. I think the wedding industry, I think because this sort of more natural garden aesthetic is becoming popular and current um, in in trends. I think that that is also helping sort of open the doors for what flower farmers are doing. Um, And because, you know, it, it has to be like accessible in some sort of way so if it's trendy first and then that gets people in and then it offers the opportunity to start that conversation about why it's important to have local product or why it's important to have american grown product and to involve seasonality Mm and your designs and your aesthetic and i think that all these things are kind of working together and it's great great that they're all finally like hitting some a rhythm yeah there and having some synchronicity. I love that. I mean, your aesthetic is so beautiful. It, it, that's probably in, that, it's probably what draws people to you first, and then they learn the story and, and buy into the idea that oh, I can have this gorgeous design from Floriography and you know support local farmers at the same time. Um, that's got to help. You know? Sure, and I think that that has been you know for us. Uh, a new sort of selling point. You know, we, we've always tried to make that like first and foremost in our philosophy, but ultimately most of our brides are kind of aesthetic driven first and Mm -hmm. then 
philosophy second. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but we know that when we do tell people where our product is coming from, and it's like sometimes we deliver flowers to a wedding that's literally like, I don't know, half a mile away from Caitlin's farm, the Bloomist. Uh-huh. And I can say these dahlias literally came from half a mile down the road. Their faces light up and they're like, what? That's incredible. That's so special. Mm-hmm. And that is is what we want. That's what we have been driving for this whole time. And so sometimes, you know, we go about it in different ways and processes. You know, maybe we don't lead with that all the time because it's scary, I think, for a bride to be like, oh, yeah, but are you going to get my look? Yeah. We we know we'll get your look, but then the cherry on top is that also we can say that your flowers came from a farm just down the road. And I think that that just has this sort of this value um, that nobody can really describe, but is is strong and it exists and people appreciate it. That's wonderful. I agree completely. I think back, it's making me think back to when sustainable gardening and organic gardening became really popular because, you know, of course, my roots are in the garden uh-huh. world. And I, I've heard from many smart designers that you don't guilt trip people into being sustainable or organic in their practices. You don't want to lead kind of I don't want to shame them into not, you know, using chemicals. You have to kind of lead with the story of beauty and pollinators and, um, you know, fragrance and health and wellness and all these things that are positive assets rather than like heavy guilt trip. So in a way, without being even conscious about it, that's just happened so naturally in the way uh, the Slow Flowers community has sort of taken over the – the idea of having a, a, a beautiful wedding and a wedding that's beautiful for the environment. I don't know how else to put it. So I like, I like what you're doing and what you're saying. I like the cherry on the top analogy. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. And I think that that, I like that, that description that you just gave about leading people into something that's maybe a little unfamiliar, but you're making it accessible and something that they understand. And then you start to add more depth to the discussion, um, which will in turn make people really love it and buy into it and be fans and allegiant to this movement forever. Mm -hmm. But you kind of have to like ease into it and understand what also what, the clients or whoever you're working with, what their priorities are and, and, and not scaring, you know, not distracting, not being so philosophically driven that you are missing the whole point of why you're having a conversation. Yeah. And that's important to us with our brides, you know, and, and discussing with them what their priorities are aesthetically, philosophically, emotionally, and then, you know, working with them to kind of match everything up together. And it's this funny algorithm that I think we all <laughs> have and approach it in different ways, but um, yeah. in the end, we all get there. Yeah. It's just a different different process. Yeah. But it's good to be reminded of, of the fact that that's a business strategy too. And, um, I guess the other reason that I wanted to have you on the podcast today is that I see that you're starting to tiptoe into retail. And, um, I want to hear about that last year when we did the, the forecast for, uh, slow flowers kind of predictions for the year, I, I basically put my stake in the ground and said, brick and mortar retail is coming back and but in a new way and i keep hearing stories about really successful florists who are or farmers who are dabbling in retail so tell me what's going on and and what what are you up to 
Oh, well, so we have just partnered um, with a larger, and I don't even know what, I think this thing exists in many places. I don't know what the, the mainstream name with it, but it's essentially like a large warehouse that contains multiple boutiques with sort of a unified shopping experience. Mm -hmm. So we um, have partnered with a company called Spurline Supply Co., which is curating multiple small boutiques, Albuquerque or New Mexico run small businesses um, in one single space. So we have a space within this warehouse. We call it our little shop at our our tiny store. Um, And we are selling some home goods, a lot of potted plants, vessels. We have a new line of um, goodies like aprons and gardening supplies and smocks and things that we love using that are maybe you know, just our tools and tricks of the trade that we thought it's time to kind of share with the world. And then we have some um, fresh floral product available for people so they can make their own sort of grab and go bouquets or pick out a vase and a few stems and take it as a gift. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So all about like 20 square feet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really shop (laughs) at? It's really, really small, but it's adorable and packs the punch. Wow, that's great. Well, I guess the the best the best sort of thread to this story is the incubating of small businesses. Like you would never. This seems a lot lower risk than going out and getting your own lease and um, exactly. building out your own space. Exactly, which is what made this this business model so appealing for us is because I think, and I imagine that we're not alone in this, the, the idea of opening up a retail space or brick and mortar is, you know, the, the overhead is just massive and it's really risky, you know, especially if you are a business that is mostly seasonal. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, you have a lot of income for part of the year, but not a lot in the other part of the year. And, um, I think the idea of going retail has a lot of really appealing perks, but it is, it's a huge risk, especially if you are used to kind of operating out of your house or your farm or the way that most of us do, I think in this community, but when having this opportunity where, you know, the overhead and the rent and the labor was covered, we're on a sort of a cost share um, process partnership with this larger company, it seemed almost too good to be true. And it seemed like the, the best place to, experiment with a retail model and say, okay, do we have the demand? Is the customer base here? Do people want our flowers year round? Which we get a lot of um, inquiries for regular deliveries or for home goods and gifts and presents. People, you know, seem to like our aesthetic, which is really exciting. And we want to make it accessible to more people year round but it's been a little tricky trying to figure out what the right balance of all of that is while mixed in with our really intense wedding and event right. season. Right. So this seemed like a really good way to, to try to do that. So Spurline has like how many different subtenants like you? I say that there's about eight. There's oh. like a, a stationary shop, a menswear, women's wear, baby, um, a donut store, which is great. Oh, bummer. Um, <laughs> Donuts and coffee, so it's really it's not hard at all to get any of my staff to go check in on things because they're like, I'll just pick up a donut. 
Um, which is really great because, you know, we're all reinforcing each other's business. Somebody comes in for flowers and then they actually see, um, a gift, you know, some earrings and it's like one stop shopping. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really great community that's supporting local artisans and handmade goods, um, of really high quality. Mm -hmm. And that's a really great thing to be associated with, I think. Yeah, I'm looking at the post that you put on your Instagram account recently where you had gorgeous local dahlias, but I see the sign that says Floriography Lux Floristry. That is beautiful. Is oh, that your thank you. Now? Yeah, it is. We just rebranded and we're so excited about it. And uh, we felt like that just sort of is something that, that we hope we are to the public or are aspiring to be. I love that. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. Especially it's in a way it's a little bit of a um, the juxtaposition of, of thorny cactus and the desert and the, you know, this idea of zero escaping and then to bring Lux into it. It's just, it's just, there's a little bit of a tension there, but it's a positive, like alluring idea. Yeah. That, oh, good. Yeah. We're, we're glad that that's what you're picking up from <laughs> it. Cause that's what we love. And we think, you know, and, and we're in the desert, which has sort of these funny ideas around it of, of being harsh and uninviting and very minimal and, um, just kind of bare, but we feel like there's actually so much that is luxurious and that is, beautiful and um just thought provoking about this aesthetic that we are are in physically and and within our environment and we we like playing with that a lot and I think that that's actually what attracts people to our design aesthetic as well as it it is that juxtaposition of hard and soft Mm -hmm. and and this um, intense light and you know a little bit um sun bleach but also you get the these dahlias I'm looking at are the color of your sunsets. So, I mean, it's all. Yeah. That's so neat. So when did you open? When did this actually launch? It opened Labor Day. So it opened just a few weeks ago. So it's all still pretty fresh. And are you seeing, when you talked about the off season, are you seeing that this is a way to keep, maybe have more consistent cash flow during the non-wedding season? Or? Absolutely. That mm-hmm. is that is it. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, we want to be out. We also want to be active in our community all year long. Um, we feel like so, we get, we get really intense and see everybody for like nine months and then we sort of shut down and we have to start all over again. And, mm-hmm. and we love our clients and we love our community. And this seemed like a great way to be able to interact with them all year long. But also from a, from a business perspective, we needed, you know, I've built a, a larger staff um, to support our event business. And I would like to keep them mm-hmm. year round. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really hard once you make that investment in, in really good employees, you know, you want to keep that incentive around to, to have them the next season and not lose them because they've got to go pay their rent, which is totally understandable. So this is hopefully a way that we can kind of keep our cash flow going all year round and keep some consistency in what we're doing and really hold on to the wonderful team that we've built over the last few years. Wow. That is so great, Emily. I'm dying to get back to Albuquerque and oh um, my gosh, see you. Please, um, <laughs> I have to. My writing. What are, you, what are you doing in November? You should come for my wedding. Oh, what is the date? I think I, did I just invite you to my wedding on a podcast. Come on, everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, well, let's talk about that later. <laughs> I was just going to say my writing mentor, uh, Paula Panich, moved to Albuquerque last fall. So I really need to come and, and I want you to meet her. So that maybe oh, that'd be great. Incentive. Yeah. So, um, wow. Okay. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but are you going to do flowers <laughs> for your own wedding? <laughs> um, Yes and no. I think um, if I can, like, you know, twist the arm of my team, we'll be doing some. Mm -hmm. But the idea is actually to do a lot of things that um, are really coming straight from the farm. And mm -hmm. we, we will be married on a cotton and a pecan farm. Mm -hmm. So there'll be lots of big pecan branches and cotton and red chili peppers because that's also in season and literally grabbable from about 50 feet away from where the wedding's happening. So <laughs> wow. the, the the idea is that it's really beautiful. It's very New Mexican. It's very local. And it's not a lot of work for me and my team because this is a wedding. We, we think it's time that we enjoy one. Yes. Um, so we're trying to strategize how to make it really spectacularly beautiful, but also very low maintenance. So that's it. kind of the current plan right now oh my god well i can't wait to see the photos that is really exciting and in the shorter term uh i think i'm going to run this uh podcast in, in early october so it gives you a little bit of time to pull some photos for me so we can show the inside of the space um oh great and maybe some of your more recent wedding designs i know you've been published a lot this year and i'd love to share some of your favorite um florals from your wedding clients that um kind of you know update people on what your your aesthetic is oh we'd love that good oh my gosh anything else you want to add about going the retail route here i know it's so new but um it's it's I, it, who knows maybe this will inspire people who've been kind of hemming and hawing and sitting on the fence to think about diversifying a little bit well, I think the bigger picture for us is that, you know, every few years and either out of necessity or just, you know, the changing of the wind, um, we kind of re-examine what we're doing and how we're doing it and, and how to grow as a business. I mean, we started as a farm and then we became a really, you know, kind of active wedding design florist mm -hmm. business, I guess you could say, yeah. or whatever, however we de we've defined ourselves in the last few years. And I just think it's important in any business really to look at what you're doing and, and shake it up every once in a while, because, you know, and also when you just kind of get tired of doing the same thing over and over again. So mm -hmm. what is the next adventure? What's the next big push we can do? How are we challenging ourselves? How can we make more money? Um, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's my background as like an adventure guide is like, what, what is the next big mountain that we're going to climb? Oh, I forgot about that. Of course. <laughs> so You have very and, high tolerance for risk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that that's why we, we keep wanting like bigger and bigger weddings because we love, we, we love planning logistics. We love going to crazy places. I mean, we work in really extreme locations. Like we literally work in the middle of the desert where there isn't like any water right. or power or, or anything <laughs> anywhere. Wow. So, um, and or that's like a, def coo a cooler, for example, definitely, not, definitely <laughs> yeah. not a cooler. I mean, what an extravagance, right? So I think that we just are regularly thirsty for something new and different and exciting. And that is going to be rewarding to us and introduce us 
to new groups of people and new environments. And going retail just seemed like a natural next step that was like, oh, we don't we don't know how to do this, but it sounds exciting and fun and it could be really rewarding in the end and we just had to jump on it. That's so cool. Well, I'm I'm excited to share the photos and are you gonna keep the same website for the store? Will it just be part of Floriography's website or are you gonna do it? It will be part of Floriography's website and in fact probably in about a week we'll have a brand new website. Ooh. Well, I guess by the time this podcast launches it right. it'll be up. And we'll also be selling a lot of our um, merchandise that will be in the store. So a lot of our planters and our aprons, which we love, and some special Southwest goodies like cow skulls with flowers on them and things like oh, that. Oh my gosh, how so exciting. I remember seeing those things. when I was with you. Yeah, so you can go to floriographyflowers.com and get all your like Southwest flower swag. <laughs> Oh, well, how perfect is the timing that that you're ready to do this? And I, I reached out, so it's almost meant yeah, to be. Thanks. thanks. Yeah, thank you, Emily. This is this is really fun to share, and, and I'm just energized having to, uh, you know, hear your, your update, uh, your news, and I know it's going to inspire other folks, too. So thank you. for Thank you yeah. so much. It's a pleasure chatting with you again, and we can't wait to have you back in the Southwest. Oh, awesome. I can see all the farms that are out here now. Yeah, really. Okay, great. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Emily. Thanks so much, Deborah. Have really a great fun. day. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Check out our show notes for episode 317 at DebraPrincing.com to see new photos of Floriography's retail space, as well as to follow links to all of Emily's social places. And you'll also find a link to our original episode that Emily and I recorded in late 2014. Coming up, by the time you hear this, I'll be heading to the East Coast, where you can find me first at the October 7th Slow Flowers Connecticut meetup hosted by Michael Russo of Trout Lily Farm in Guilford, Connecticut. There's still time to join us, so check out DebraPrincing.com in the events calendar for details, or find more details in today's show notes. I'm continuing on immediately after my time in New England to Holly and Evan Chapel's Hope Flower Farm in Waterford, Virginia, where I'll be a guest at the Field to Vase dinner that they're hosting on Sunday, October 8th, and then I'll join Holly and several amazing instructors at the second Flower Stock, taking place Monday, October 9th and Tuesday, October 10th. I can't wait to lead a series of creative writing exercises for the participants, and it's not too late to register. Holly is offering a special $200 discount for the Slow Flowers community. Use this promo code for a discount off of a one-day or two-day registration, and that promo code is FSSLOWFLOWER. FS as in flower stock, slow flower, all one word. This discount can also be used for Flower Stock's hashtag treat the team offer to buy two tickets and get the third one for free. Get in touch with me or write flowers at hollychapelflowers.com. That's holly, H-O-L-L-Y, chapel, C-H-A-P-P-L-E, flowers.com to request a promo code for that free ticket if you bring a third member of your staff or team. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 239,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you to each one of you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. 
If you value the content you receive each week, I invite you to show your thanks and support the Slow Flowers podcast with a donation. The button can be found on our homepage in the right column. Your contributions will help make it possible to transcribe future episodes of the podcast. Thank you to our family of sponsors, Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality, American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at lfgardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnny'sseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at kinetictreefitness.com. Mm-hmm.